kind of hard to follow, something like that. I hope it's not unsettling to you. This is just a bit of a note before I start preaching. I hope it's not unsettling to you as your pastor to know that uh, I have, I have, uh, I think I can say this honestly. I have, I have prayed to the Lord for him to bring people into our circles, into our church circle here, specifically, this local church, that are not uh, from Anabaptist backgrounds, mostly because I think that is uh, a good expression of what Jesus does, but also because of uh, the ability for those people to see a bit more objectively the things that we, uh, that are going on in our lives. And I think you heard just a bit of that this morning from Aaron, so thank you. Um, I was just sitting here thinking this is, this is why I'm grateful that the Lord has brought some of those people to this church body. So may the Lord be praised. We don't want to become, you know, not just Anabaptist for the sake of saying we're not Anabaptist. It is still where I am, and I think that's what Aaron was saying is actually where he, where he would begin to find himself but I think we need to know why we do what we do. And I liked your phrase, something I've been concerned about myself of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Um, and I appreciate getting my own toes stepped on when I'm sitting in a pew, not just up here in front of uh, all of you. So thank you. Open your Bibles. Let's uh, turn our attention to the word this morning. We're gonna continue to study out of the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter five is where you should turn to. It could be no more fitting to have a, a spotlight on discipleship uh, than uh, on focused on leading by example or discipling by example than uh, it, coming in the context of the set of verses, the chapters we're finding ourselves in the book of Ephesians as we are learning about what it looks like to walk as children of light. Uh, what else could that mean except that when we walk as children of light, it's that light that emanates from us or through us the light of the Holy Spirit, that changes the people around us. That's how it should work. That's something that Aaron just testified to. And I suppose all of us could in some way, if we'd be honest, if the light has affected us almost without fail, it's because someone around us has let that light shine through them and has made it uh, point itself. That light, is, as it's shining through them, has sort of shown on us a little bit. And we've realized that something in my heart is and my life isn't quite right. And so we wanted to change that. Now, there are stories, of course, where God has dramatically intervened in someone's life without uh, someone else being there, uh, while God has spoken powerfully through the word in some way. All those things are happening, no, no doubt. But uh, uh, probably not very many of us here who would have any desire to walk as a child of light would have say that it was not because in some way that there's somebody that came and was leading by example, that was discipling me by their example of what was happening. I saw, them, I saw them respond to the Holy Spirit in some way, and that led me to where I'm at. Now, we've been talking about this subject, about walking as children of light. We have been moving into this direction of way more application, right? It's, we, we, we left behind those theological things, like this is, what, this is who Jesus is, this is what the wonderful things he's done in us, and all those things we've talked about. We've, we're leaving those behind and getting down to some stuff that, that just makes us realize it has to make a difference in our life, right? It has to mean something for me. I can't just say that Jesus died for me and he did some wonderful work and he brought unity to all of humanity without seeing that I'm one of those pieces inside of that huge chunk of humanity I might want to talk about. And what I do makes a difference. How I respond to what Jesus did 
makes all the difference. Paul would be, I think he would, I mean, this is a bit of my writing it back into what he's saying, so I want to be careful about that. But I think Paul would say, it, it does you no good, it does us no good to, to say all these wonderful things if it doesn't work itself out in your life somehow, if it doesn't make a difference somehow. And we're going to find out, of all the things we've talked about so far that we can talk about, you know, whether we get angry and sin, whether we work hard and we have things to contribute to people, whether we use our words to bless people or whether we use them to, to, to not bless people, to curse people, whether we talk about things that are appropriate, all those things, you know, when we're together with people like, even on even Sundays, even on a, on a weekly basis, I, I see most of you just about every Sunday and sometimes in between too. It's still possible for us to, to fake it. It's still possible for us to put on airs, right? It's still possible for us to, to say, yeah, this is what I'm like. This is what I believe. This is how I do things. And probably even pick out a few examples where, you know, the other day when, I, when this happened, and it demonstrates what a, what a godly man I am. I'll tell you where you can't hide it. Maybe you could tell me. Where can you not hide whether you're walking as a child of light or not? Where's, where's probably the biggest place that you cannot cover up whether you're walking led by the Spirit as a child of light or whether you're still walking in your flesh? Where's the, where's the biggest place where you can't hide that? It's in your home with your family because it's the people that you live with every day. And the next couple of messages here, I've actually given it a subtitle because uh, I thought it would be appropriate to say that we're going to talk about light in the home and recognize that it is the place that it's most obvious whether we're walking as children of light, and it's also the place where it's probably the most difficult to walk as children of light because they're the people that we see day in and day out. They're the people that know all of our buttons and can push them. They're the people that see us when we're not feeling so great. They're the people that see us and, and we interact with on an ongoing basis, so we can't just sort of pop in and give our, our nice Sunday face and say, yep, things are good, and I can give you a couple of examples of how Jesus has worked in my life. They're the people that get to tell whether Jesus is actually working in my life or not. And, of course, paramount among that relationship, which is what we're going to spend our next two weeks talking about, is the husband and wife relationship. We know not everybody in this room is married, so that doesn't always apply to every one of us. That doesn't excuse us. We're going to have to walk right through the text here. I told you last week it's a text that I have been eagerly awaiting and at the same time have been dreading. And maybe I didn't explain that well enough. Part of that uh, dread, if I want to call it that, might be because it's one of the places that the greatest onslaught against what the Bible has taught is coming in our culture. And so it goes, uh, it, it's, it's recognizing that saying some difficult things, like Aaron said this morning, saying some difficult things that uh, aren't fun to hear or to say. I'll just say it that way. Without a doubt, the uh, relationship of husbands and wives, the, the roles that, that God, that, that, that the Bible calls us to, uh, is under full-on attack and has been for a while already, but it's under full-on attack in our culture. We'll have to talk about some reasons why I think that is as we go through this. So just the reality that I'm probably going to say some things that uh, maybe not all of us are going to be super happy about or wish it wasn't like that. But I'll tell you why else there's dread there for me. It's because when you do these things, I'm up here, and again, it's easy for me to talk about the theological teachings of scripture. It's easy for me to declare boldly what the Bible teaches, but my family's here in this church, and the 
subject matter that I have to cover over the next couple of weeks, it's pretty easy for them to look at their dad and say, or for my wife to look at her husband and say, I wish I would see a little more of that. I tell you guys all the time, and I don't mean it any different, and certainly I can say it 100% this morning, just like I always say it. But just because I'm up here doesn't mean I have this figured out. I want you to know it. I mean, it happens a lot at my desk, but certainly for the message today and the message next week and just the things we're going to cover, it just becomes so obvious to me when I go through Scripture like this of how, how unsaved I can be at times, how unsaved I can act at times. I should put it that way. How some things come out of my life still that are not how they should be. How easy it is for me to talk about things up here and how desperately I want to be honest with all of you because if I don't, I know that I have a wife and I have children sitting here that can look at all the wonderful things dad says, but that's not what he's like at home. And I don't want it that way. I want my wife to know and I want my children to know that I fully recognize the things that I'm teaching is the high bar that I have been talking to us about week after week after week, and I'm not there yet. I want to be there, but I'm not there yet. So the dread comes from having to declare things that I know full well as it comes out, reaches deep down inside of me, and illuminates the places where there's still darkness in me. And that's kind of hard to do when you're standing in front of a whole bunch of people that you want to impress. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. We have the same text at least this week and next week, maybe longer, I'm not sure yet, but I think at least this week and next week. Let's read it together. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Lord, thank you so much for your text as always, we thank you, but in, these, in this context, I want to thank you for I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that it's going gonna, it's gonna to push and press. It's going to show light in darkness in, our, in my relationships and in our relationships. And for that, we say thank you for we want to arrive ready to meet you someday. We want you to come, Jesus, to a bride, 
excuse me, that is prepared, which means we want to thank you for the light that you will shine on us that illuminates darkness, that we might put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the new man, which is created in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we desire, God. So would you take the text this morning and in the following weeks when we get to them, would you take them, Holy Spirit, and would you teach us, would you give us humility so that we might receive from you what you want from us? I pray in the name of Jesus this morning against the work of Satan who wants to discourage and he wants to take things like this text and make it feel like it's a million miles away and I have no chance of getting there, so I'm just not going to try anymore. I reject that in Jesus' name this morning. That while we want you to work in us and remove darkness, that we give ourselves to you for we want to be edified and lifted. We want to be matured. We want to be sanctified. We want to be right before you. Lord, lift us to a higher plane than we have found before. And we thank you for your goodness and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start examining this text, and of course, without a doubt, you know where we're headed because I talked about life and the home and the relationships that are there and the, and the stuff that's illuminated in the husband and wife relationship especially. That's where the main focus is going to be. We're going to cover some children, parent things. We're going to cover, well, it's not really light in the home, I suppose, but we're going to cover employer, employee kinds of things, the, those, those relationships that are there all the time and they illuminate what's really inside of us. But we think, I mean, without a doubt, the first initial focus is on husband and wife, so we know we're going to get there. But before we get there, I want to show you, I, mean, I want to just spend some time, because this text, I don't know if you, if, if you paid attention to it, this text actually spent a lot of time talking about Jesus. It's Paul's Christocentric viewpoint of life, that all of life has to do with Jesus in some way, which means even as he's telling us about how husbands and wives should look, he spends so much time talking about Jesus. In fact, it what he tells you, that's where we're going to start this morning. He tells you, I'm actually talking about Jesus in the church. All the stuff I'm like, I'm actually talking about Jesus in the church. That's really where I'm, that's really what I'm, I'm putting there. Now, I think he's going to, he's, he's saying that to illuminate to us that our marriages should point to Jesus in the church. They should paint some kind of picture about Jesus in the church. That's in fact what God is hoping to implement through marriage, I think is what the Bible teaches is that as people happen to look at husbands and wives who are believers, that somehow they get this picture of Jesus and the church. Now, just from the very get-go, of course, that, that should be something that, that, that's paused, that uh, causes us to stop in our tracks. It pauses us for a moment. Because if that's the reality, if that's what God is driving for, then we indeed are touching a subject that is, is so critical and so huge. Right? I think it's why the mar our marriages are under attack. I think it's why the roles of husbands and wives are under attack in our culture because it's Satan. Because if that's the very picture for how people get to see who Jesus is and what the church is like, if we can destroy that, then all that, 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 that picture is lost. Now, in a lot of messages that I preach, uh, you all know this because if you're here most every week, you usually look at a handout and you see tons of scripture references. And I have them in my notebook at home. All kinds of references about about places to pull in and say this is what he means and this is what this means and to prop this up and, and, and I had all those things jotted down and when I got down to it I felt like, like, the, like the Holy Spirit was just prompting me to this spend if you look at your handout this morning in the backside of your bulletin there's not a lot of references there 
Unfortunately for you, that may not mean a much shorter sermon because sometimes that's what it means. I don't have as much to cover. But, but I, it, I simply, I want the text to speak for itself. I, honestly, when I got done with it, I, I read all these references and I was ready to, to sort of put out what I think the message is going to I got done with it and I thought, I don't need to go any other place. Honestly, if I can do this first point, if I can do it well, if, if, if I can allow the text to speak what I think it should speak, if I can bring through some of what Paul is saying to us, I honestly don't think there's a whole lot left to say about how husbands and wives should act because it's, it's going to be obvious to us. This text, this mystery, it's profound. It's deep. It's earth-shattering. It's revolutionary. It changes everything. So we better be paying attention. And he says, I'm talking about Jesus and the church. And then he starts talking about a whole bunch of things about Jesus. Listen to what he says about Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. That's the place he starts. Jesus is the head. He's the, he's, the church was born out of him. He's the head. He says, he says it in a few other places in scripture too. Again, I could have gone there. I don't need to. Jesus is the boss. He's the Lord. He's the head of the church. He's the one that makes decisions. He's the one that initiates. He's the one that did initiate. Jesus is the savior of the church. Again, I'm, I'm, I, there's going to be more things we could infer from this text. I tried to limit myself to things that were explicitly stated in the verses we read this morning. Jesus is the Savior of the church. That is referring to the fact that people, the church, needed to be saved. And Jesus is the Savior of the church. I'll run through the whole list so you can look at them. You can jot them down if you want to. That's why you have a lot of white space on your handout. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. As we learned earlier what love means, Jesus gave himself up for the church. That's what love means. He loved you and I, loved the world, and he gave himself up for the church. Stuff happens to me all the time like this, and I, don't, I, I often feel like I can't, I can't convey what's, how strongly, and so I end up getting like really loud and passionate, and I don't know if that conveys we have to stop at things like this and realize what does it mean that the creator of the universe, the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made and for whom, I said for whom already, in him and all things were held together, that the creator of the universe, Jesus himself, he gave himself up. He handed himself over. He surrendered himself. Talk about not being self-defensive. Aaron was talking about that, right? Talking about not being, not taking up self-defense. I mean, that's where the line comes from that he quoted. This, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not what I'm fighting for. The world is his. I mean, listen, listen how absurd it is that we want to make cases for defending ourselves in this world. The world was his. He made it. It's his. He owns it. And he gave himself up and said, that's not the kingdom I'm fighting for. He was not interested in that as much as he was interested in you and me. He gave himself up for us. Jesus sanctifies the church. He makes the church holy. He sets the church apart. That's what Jesus does. That's what that word sanctifies means. He consecrates the church. Jesus makes the church holy. If we need holiness, if we want holiness, we need Jesus. Jesus cleanses the church through the word. He cleans it. There's a few other words used in here that I could use. He washes it, he cleanses it, it's part of the sanctification, 
just going to put the next one up there. He presents the church in splendor. You know, for all the longings that we as humans have to be glorious and to be looked upon with favor and to impress people, that's a phrase I just used a little bit ago, to impress people and to, and to, and to, to put forth, to show forth wonderful things and have to, 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 to be the, 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 the shining light of, 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 of you know, sort of the, the crowning, I mean, stuff that's long inside of all of us. And here we read that Jesus is the one that will present the church in splendor. If there's going to be anything glorious about us in heaven, it's because Jesus will be presenting us in splendor. He will be without sprinkle, without sprinkle, without blemish or wrinkle. I get those, some of those things together. Without, uh, actually, spot or wrinkle or blemish. Those are the words were all in my head and kind of came out together. Sorry about that. He presents the church in splendor without any mistakes. Jesus nourishes the church. Since they came together, I'll put them together. Jesus cherishes the church. I don't mean the same thing, so I put them separately. Jesus nourishes the church, and Jesus cherishes the church. Once again, can, can you just pause for a moment and, and think of what it means to have that creator that I talked about, the, the, the incredible, immaculate, perfect, glorious, high... Highest name above all other names, to have to, to, to stop for a moment and realize that he nourishes and cherishes the church. That's us. He feeds us, he takes care of us, he loves us, he warms us. That's what that word cherish means. And the last point I want to make is that Jesus is joined to the church, which is also no small thing, right? That the Eternal is joined to, uh, or maybe I should say the immortal is joined to the mortal through the church, as the church. Of course, that will someday be even more fully true, but he is joined to the church already. It says very clearly that we are his body. I would tell you that's in large part the points that Paul was trying to make with the first part of Ephesians, that we are members of Jesus' body together. We're part of the household of Jesus. Look at that list. So you thought this text was about husbands and wives, didn't you? I mean, it is, kind of. But that's not the first thing Paul wanted us to know. The first thing Paul wanted us to know was this list right here. Look at all the things he said that were true about Jesus. Can I, can I step out of the message just for a little bit and just encourage all of us that in part, not this directly, although this is a true too, but in part, this is the kind of mindset that I think God is driving for us to have when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, is that no matter what subject we are talking about, no matter what thing we want to present, no matter what case we want to make, no matter what argument we want to win, that somehow it always has to come back to be more about Jesus than anything else. That our worldview is so Jesus-focused that everything we talk about in some way has to come back. And wouldn't that be incredible that if people would walk away after conversations with us and be like, well, the conversation was about the weather, but somehow he said more about Jesus than anything else. Right? The conversation was about how to raise kids, but somehow it was more about Jesus than anything else. The conversation was how to, how to wrestle with this decision about what to do, and somehow it was more about Jesus than anything else. That's exactly what Paul just did. 
He said, let me tell you the place where in your relationships it's most difficult to walk out as a child of light and, and it's most important and critical to walk out as a child of light. And somehow in the middle of that, we walk away and we have an entire list of things that Jesus did for the church. Now, before I go on, there's, there's a similar list for the church, by the way. It's a lot shorter. We can, we can walk through the text. There's a, there's a similar list for the church. This is Jesus and how he relates to the church. This is how the church relates to Jesus. The church submits to Christ. That's very clear from the text. Not just this text, right? That's very clear from the New Testament. The church submits to, the, to Christ. The church respects or honors, if you want to interpret the word that way, or fears, if you want to interpret it that way. It's the word for fear, phobeho. Uh, the church fears, honors, respects Christ. That's what the church does. And the final one, there's three of them on this list. The church is joined to Christ. That's the same one as what the last one was for Jesus. That's pretty intentional, by the way. But the church submits to Christ. The church fears or honors or respects Christ. And the church is joined to Christ. That's the list for the church's side of things. Now, again, not surprisingly, because if we're good students of the Bible, this is how it works out, right? God does everything, and what do we do? Well, we don't do a whole lot of much, do we, other than we are the reason that God has to do everything. We receive what God has done. That's really what this list is about. We receive what God has done and put him in his rightful place. That's what the church does. That's how the church responds. So in a text about the relationships between husbands and wives and all the wonderful teachings in there, again, Paul somehow makes it a discussion. He says, the first thing I want you to know is that I'm really actually talking about Jesus and the church, and here's the list. We have a long list of all that Jesus did for the church, and we have a really short list of what the church does. The church submits, the church fears, the church is joined to Christ, is receiving that joining that God has done when Jesus left his father and was joined to his bride. Now, that's the first thing that Paul wanted to talk to us about, so that's not the only thing, right? Because he follows up the verse that I began this with in verse 32, he follows up with verse 33, he says, however, let me tell you that each one of you should also love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, oh, by the way, I'm telling you all about Jesus and the church, but I do want you to model your husband and wife relationships after all the things I just told you. So the second thing you should know is that it does apply to your relationships in your marriage. That all the things I just said about Jesus and the church, somehow that's supposed to come out of your relationship between husband and wife. This is why, by the way, I say, if we understand the first thing Paul was talking about, there's actually, it's not that difficult to walk through and understand what he means for husbands and wives. I mean, it's not that difficult to understand it. Doing it is a whole different story, right? Accepting it, surrendering to it is a whole different story. I can, I can, I shouldn't use the word guarantee. I am very, very confident that there's plenty of us in this room, in a small size of as it is, in this room, that are kicking against what, what we just read and said, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's hard. That hurts. That's not... What's best for me? That's not what I really want to do. As we have been talking the entire way through, when we're walking as children of light, 
it makes us different from how those in darkness walk. And the same is true for our marriages, isn't it? That our marriages should look different than what the world's marriages look like. Our husbands should act and look and think and be different than the world's husbands. And our wives should act and think and look and behave and be different than what the world's wives look like. Just as much as light is different from darkness and as the new man is different from the old man, our marriages should look different than everyone else's do. I'm immediately thinking two things. One, again, is the reminder that, honestly, I probably don't have to tell you a whole lot about how to interpret this, because if, if you're at all participating this morning in this text, you know, you know what this means for you. If you're a husband or wife, or if you're pl- planning on being one, you know what this means for you. The second thing I'm immediately thinking is, once again, what happens all the time rears its ugly head where we have this amazing tendency to think, well, but, but my situation's a little different. Right? Well, my situation's not, it's, it's not quite, it's not quite, that's the ideal, and my situation's not ideal, so I'm not bound by this. I'm hoping if you've been at church for a while, you know what my answer to that is, right? Is that a good reason for you to excuse yourself from obeying what God asks for you to do? I saw one brave person shake their head. I heard no response. Is that a good reason for you to ignore what God asked you to do because your situation is not as ideal as you'd like it to be? No. No. I'm going to start with husbands. We're not going to get through this, by the way, all the way today, just so you know. We're going to have to pick up some pieces next week. So when Jesus said, or when Paul says that the first thing I'm talking about is Jesus and the church, and there should be a picture that's painted by husbands and wives, because the second thing we're talking about is husbands and wives and their relationships, we're going to start with the one that he spent a lot more time with, and that's husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. <laughs> Maybe we could get to that, all the rest of the stuff, if we could get past this first line. Husbands, we're supposed to love our wives as Jesus did, as Jesus loves, as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, before I talked about in the context of self-defense, let me just bring it back to the context of this relationship and just talk really personally. It is completely absurd and outrageous how entitled I get as a husband sometimes about what I should get or what I need or what, what, what I need out of a relationship with my wife or what all, all kinds of, like who I am as the man of the house or just all kinds. Of, it's ridiculous how entitled I get when I read that I'm supposed to love as, my, love as Jesus loved and gave himself up for the church. And I just told you what that must look like for the creator of the universe to give himself up for his creation. 
This I think I can get about as close to a guarantee as I, as I ever can. There's not a single one of us men in here who's a husband that's loved her wife as Jesus left the church and gave himself up for her. But that's the bar, right? Because we're different. We're supposed to be different. We don't get to settle and be like, well, I know I can't do it perfectly and I'm a whole lot better than a lot of those people out there who are being big jerks to their wives and beating them around. Kind of like the other week when I asked the question about when we can stop speaking the truth in love, the answer, of course, when, when the whole body is, you know, perfectly mature, I can stop loving and giving myself for my, up for my wife when I've achieved the status of Jesus, which, of course, is never. Look at that list. With the exception of a couple that I'm going to make here in just a little bit, that's the list, husbands. <laughs> you see, I don't have to do a whole lot of preaching, do I? I don't have to do a whole lot of convincing. I don't have to do a whole lot of arguing and making points and trying to I just have to show you what Jesus did with the church and say that's the picture that I and you, if you're a husband here this morning, is supposed to paint. Now, there are two exceptions, I think. They're indicated by Paul's use of the words himself in this text. I'm going to cross them out for us. It says that, if you can see that line up there in the second one, it says that Jesus is himself the Savior of the church. Husbands, you do not save your wives. We are not our wife's savior. We should not be. In fact, if we are replacing our, the savior for a wife, then that's not a proper relationship between husband and wife. Wives, your savior is and always will be Jesus, not your husband. Jesus is the savior of the world. That one does not apply to this list. Indicated again, like I said, so also, uh, I'm sorry, that Jesus is himself the savior of the church. The second one is a little further down. Now this one gets a little, I maybe have to explain this. I'm gonna cross out the one it applies to. Though we as husbands participate in the sanctification process of our wives, we are not, they're, they're not being presented to us in splendor. Again, it's the word himself. He's presenting the church to himself in splendor without wrinkle or blemish or spot, which means our wives, when we are, though again, though we are participating in the, in the sanctification process, of our wives, we are responsible for the sanctification process of our wives. They are not, it is not so that they can be presented to us someday as a glorious uh, object or glorious person in Christ, but they will be presented to Christ someday. It's to himself he's presenting them, not to us. Does that make sense? So you can take those two off the list, I suppose. And now look at your list. We are to love our wives. We are to be the head of our wife. We are to give ourselves for our wife. We are to sanctify our wife. We are to cleanse our wife through the word. We are to nourish our wife. We are to cherish our wife. We are to become one with our wife. We are to be joined to our wife. There's a couple of words I want to point out. Um, all of this, by the way, is resting on Paul's case that he's made that we are members of Jesus' body. So husbands, listen. This morning, the text is not asking us to do something as if it were for another person. 
it's asking us to do it as if it were us, because he's saying that is true. When we received Christ, we became members of his body. When you got married, she became a member of your body. It's, it, that's why he uses that. That's why he, he, that's the way he frames it. He says, nobody ever hates his own body. You should see it the same way. You're taking care of yourself. That's what you're doing. Because she's part of you. She's joined to you. You can't separate them. You should immediately be thinking of some other place in Scripture where those exact words come out, right? <laughs> Let me point out a few words that Paul says. And I point them out simply because we probably have long-standing, ingrained in us ideas of what husbands are supposed to do. And of all, I find it pretty astounding that of all the things that, that uh, Paul points out, he points out or uses a couple of very non-masculine words to talk about husbands. Did you notice that? He says, I'll just highlight both of them. He says, at least how we define masculinity. He says that uh, husbands should nourish their wives. That word nourish means to rear up or to raise up to maturity. That's what that word literally means. It, of course, has the idea of feeding, but the feeding is to bring to maturity. That's the point of it. That's, that's what that word nourish in the Greek means. Husbands, we are to raise up our wives to maturity. There's two things that he points out specifically that Jesus did for the church that we are to do for our wives, and none of them mentions that we're supposed to provide everything for her financially although I think that should be something we're concerned about. It, doesn't, it mentions this, that we're supposed to be concerned about bringing them to maturity as, as, as people. We're to nourish her. The second word, again, is not a very masculine word. In fact, it's a very distinctly feminine word, surprisingly enough. Jesus cherished the church. That word, I kind of I said this before, that word means to warm or to brood as a mother hen broods her chicks. to foster, to cherish. Maybe, just maybe, it's because we have down pretty pat how to be tough, stand-up, masculine men. What we're not so good at is nourishing and cherishing our wives. Once again, can I just be brutally honest with you and just say what the Lord lays in my heart and realize that it just sends a dagger through my own? What do you think makes our wives feel the safest? When there's a man standing at the door with a gun keeping out everything that we think shouldn't be, when there's a man who looks at her and treasures her heart and asks how they're doing, and whether there's something bothering them that we can care about. Listen, I'm not trying to make wishes or females out of all us. It's the last thing I'm trying to do. There's nothing wussy about female about Jesus and how he interacts with the church. But there's something that we're missing as Christian husbands if we put a whole bunch of things in front of these two words with our wives. Along with that, I don't know where I laid my clicker. Along with that, let me show you this word, which happens to be the word word, but this word here. It's an interesting word to use there. Or maybe it's not interesting, just I just want to point out. 
Jesus cleanses the church, washes her with the water of the word, and husbands are supposed to cleanse and uh, wash their wives with the water of the word. And the Greek word that's used here is the word rhema. Rhema is the more specific word in the Greek referring to, it gets a little confusing because he's a word, used the word word a lot, but it's the, it's the more specific word in Greek that refers to the spoken or uttered word as opposed to the more, the more overarching, all-encompassing word logos, which is often used, which refers to the person, Jesus, and to the written word as well. So Paul said that Jesus cleansed the church by the words that he spoke. And husbands are to cleanse their wives by the words that they speak. Now, maybe that doesn't do as much to you as it does for me, but I recognize that one of my greatest weaknesses as a husband is communicating well. It seems crazy because I love preaching and I love talking. Most of you know that I talk a lot. But communicating with my wife is actually one of my, I, I, I'm not really good at it, actually. And I see from all these things, I see that one of the ways that I nourish her and cherish her is by the things that I say the words I use. Do my words cleanse? Do they, do they encourage and, and sanctify? Do they set her apart? Do they, do, they, do they help present her in splendor? Or do they criticize? Or are they not there at all? In this way, husbands, we are very, very, very much like Jesus. I'd like to just point you to two different texts from the Gospel of John that bring these ideas, the ideas of sanctification, of cleansing, of the word, all that together. When Jesus prayed what we call the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, I'm just going to have to jump in. I don't have time to go through more of it than this, but I'm going to jump in in verse 17 of chapter 17 of John. He says this, Jesus is praying to God, and he says, sanctify them, talking about us, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then look what he says. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And again, his word is truth. Just covered that. As they, and for their sake, Jesus said, for for, for the disciples' sake, he is consecrating or sanctifying or becoming holy so that they also may become holy in truth, which again is the word, word, uh, the, which, is, which is in the word, I should put it that way. He says, your word is truth. This is the role that husbands play for their wives. I'll have to save some of this for next week because we're going to talk about some of the ways that we get this all out of whack next week in our roles and our relationships and the ways that we act. So just gonna, just gonna have to save some of this because we, we're out of time. But at least for this week, can, husbands, can we be contemplating these verses? This is what Jesus did. This is the role that we are to play with our wives that we, by our utterances, by our words, can make our, and, and choose to say, I wanna make myself holy and sanctified so that they also may become sanctified in the truth. Now, just before that, in John chapter 15, let me quickly just say this yet. In John chapter 15, when Jesus is encouraging them to be at one with him, he says this in John 15, three, already you are clean, same word, 
holy, sanctified, set apart. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And the very next phrase out of his mouth is, abide in me, be part of me, be joined to me. Once again, we should see all kinds of things about what Paul is saying in the text we covered today. The oneness, the sanctification, the words we're speaking, the cleansing, all of those things. Well, you're gonna have to leave this. We're gonna, we're gonna just stop in the middle. We're gonna pick up uh, uh, the role of wives. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to what the church has done and talk to wives a little bit next week. Lord willing, we're going to uh, talk about some of the ways that, we, that this gets all out of whack, that, that, that we are become, looking more like the world and not like the people walking in, in light and, and sort of what to do with all those things. We're gonna have to leave it from there. If you would just stand this morning, I'm gonna walk my closing prayer, my prayer and everything together, I'm gonna dismiss you. Again, I don't have to say a whole lot this morning. I don't think, I think the text speaks very clearly for itself. Jesus, thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for loving us despite our shortcomings. Thank you for demonstrating to us so perfectly, as husbands especially, demonstrating to us so perfectly what it looks like to love your wife and give yourself up for her. For that's what you did with the church. I can say, I mean, it goes without saying, but I should say it still. I can say 100% that I have not lived up to what you ask of me, Jesus, and I'm so sorry. I am selfish and entitled. I, I, I don't communicate with my wife like I should. I don't build her up. I don't sanctify her. I don't wash her with my words as you have called me to do. And I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for her forgiveness from me, for me. And again, as hard as it is, I thank you, Jesus, for bringing to me today again the reminder All of this demonstrates to me, Jesus, how much I need you. So thank you. Thank you for always pointing to me, pointing out to me that I need you so desperately. And I thank you by your grace that I can come to you. That I can return to you and say, oh, help me, God. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me that I might, by some miraculous, Holy Spirit-led, grace-filled, in-your-mercy way, demonstrate Jesus to the world in my marriage. Thank you. Thank you for a church body that wants to hear from you and wants to walk according to your, your way, your path, walk as children of light. I pray for your working among us as husbands especially since today. That's what we talked about. We give you praise and glory. We want you to be reflected in us. We want you to be, we want people to see Jesus in us. And we are so grateful that you even have even conceived of such a plan. Lord, have your way. Fill us with your spirit. As we go leave from this place, all of us, husbands, wives, children, any of us, when your spirit fills us, we carry around your light and we want to walk as children of light. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.